So tonight, we're going to pick it up in 1 Kings chapter 18. Last week, we had three chapters as we just moved through those kings of the north, six of them, a couple of kings in the south, the southern kingdom of Judah, with the focus on Elijah the prophet. And tonight, as we go forward in chapter 18, we're picking it up where we have two chapters where the focus is Elijah the prophet and the amazing ministry that he had during this couple of years when God was just using him in a very special way. And he's, we're going to get more of him after tonight, but he's the, really the focal point, front and center of the text tonight. So as we come to chapter 18, he, we left off where the Lord, he comes out of nowhere in the, in the northern kingdom of Israel, and he has been called by the Lord as a prophet, and he prophesies that there's not going to be any rain or dew on the ground until he says so. And Ahab is an evil king in the north. He worships Baal, which means Lord. And so whenever you see the worship of Baal, it, it's like he, he's Lord of everything. So he's Lord of war. He's Lord of fertility. He's Lord of the weather and the universe. And, and um, there, there can only be one Lord. You can't have two Lords. And so this is the whole thing with Israel and the Israelites with the worship of Baal. Now, Baal being worshipped by other surrounding kingdoms, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is a Sidonian. She's Lebanese from that region of modern Lebanon. And she worshiped Baal. And she brought all the prophets of Baal into this unequally yoked relationship of a, you know, Israel with the covenant with God and Baal and the people. And so this is the situation, and it's a very dark time spiritually, morally, and even politically. And even as Jeff was praying about the barber being fearful and so many people right now, how they are, we can relate to that. So it's a dark time emotionally, and you just felt that in the land. So here comes Elijah out of nowhere. He just says, it's not going to rain, and whatever Ahab thought at that time, who knows, but then Elijah disappears, and there's a famine on the land. God's providing for Elijah, and it's all going forward now. And so we pick it up in chapter 18 from that background, and it says in verse 1 of chapter 18, that it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria, that's the northern kingdom of Israel, and Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now, Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. So he's a good guy working for the boss, who's against the Lord, but he's a good guy serving the Lord. Verse 5, And Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go into the land to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and the mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock, the animals. So they divided the land between them to explore it, and Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went the other way by himself. Now, as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him, and he fell on his face, and he said, Is that you, my lord, Elijah? And he answered, It is I. Go tell your master Elijah's here. So Obadiah said, How how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant to the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said, he's not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah's here? 
and it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you that the Spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go and tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he will kill me. But I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. Was it not reported to my Lord what I did with Jezebel, what I did when Jezebel killed the prophets of the Lord, how I hid 100 men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave, and fed them with bread and water? And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah's here. He will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Now it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he, Elijah, answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now therefore send and gather all Israel on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. It just, it's like bang, bang, bang with Elijah. It's, man, it's, it's game on, as we would say. So, this is interesting because I think we can really relate to when Ahab sees, sees him and he says, is that you, O troubler of Israel? And it's hard not to think immediately how so often someone who loves the Lord gets blamed for things from people who are fighting the Lord. When people are being chastened by the Lord and they, they blame Christians. And see, the key, the key aspect of this passage is that Elijah doesn't go down all these rabbit trails, or as they say in debate, after this straw man or this red herring. He doesn't get off point. This false accusation, because this is a false accusation, he's by the most powerful man in the land who terrifies everybody. His dad terrified everybody, and he terrifies him as well. His wife tears terrifies everyone beyond even his father did. So, again, remember Elijah had that phrase. He said it again, as I stand before the Lord. That was his strength because he spent time with the Lord. He feared the Lord. Therefore, he didn't fear man. But in this accusation, I mean, he hasn't seen the king for three years. And the first thing the king says, you are the troubler of Israel. Like, that's a, that's a false accusation. And he doesn't accept it. He says, no, you are. You are. Because you've not obeyed the commandments of the Lord. See, this goes back to that passage in Romans, let God be true and every man a liar. The word of God is proven, it's true. God's word is always going to come out yes and amen. The opinions, the shifting goalposts in the moral of societies of fallen men and women, that can change at any given time for whatever wind of doctrine is passing through a generation or a people group. But the word of the Lord will always stand and prevail. God's exalted his word even above his name. And every jot and tittle, every dotting of the I and the crossing of the T will come to pass for all eternity from Genesis to Revelation. Everything God has said. Have I not spoken, says the Lord. And so often when you're being blamed, when, good is e- when people take good and make it evil, and they're evil and they make it good, which is going on in our society, of course, right now, it's, it's very easy to get frustrated with that and, and get dis- discouraged with that and want to feel like you have to you know, you have to explain everything. You have to explain, like, why a 10-year-old girl raped has to give birth to a baby or something, you know, when that's not, that's not the flashpoint of the, the value of the life in the womb, you see, or how you're intolerant because you think that this lifestyle doesn't equal marriage, and so because you don't think they should be married, suddenly you're intolerant. And by the way, in Zig Ziglar, the Christian Motivational Speaker's book, see at the top, He talked about the demise of society, starting with drugs and alcohol, 
and the lowering of the bar and how, how it's, he has a couple chapters about habits and bad habits. And he explains what an individual does and then he explains how society does that. And, it's, and of course he was a Christian and it shifts from a, a firm foundation to a faulty foundation. And he wrote this back in the, the 80s and the 90s. And he talked about how a person, when they become addicted to cigarettes, their body repels cigarettes initially. If you ever try to smoke a cigarette, you know that your body repels that. You cough, you hack, it's repulsive. But then you condition your body to accept it. And we know that no heroin addict starts out doing heroin. They start out with usually cannabis, or what we used to call weed, right? Not everyone who smokes weed becomes a heroin addict, but every heroin addict usually began to be a heroin addict starting smoking cigarettes and or weed. And Zig Ziglar talks about how in all the psychological studies and physiological studies of how, how people become addicted, addicted to things, alcohol and all these things, uh, pornography, everything, that what happens is you, you have to go against everything you know to accept something. And the body repels it, repels it, and then the body accepts it and endures it, and then the body demands it. And in so doing, you go from rejecting that which is you, you know is wrong, your body's trying to tell you it's wrong, to forcing it to the point where you accept it, and then the body, body tolerates it, and then the body demands it in physical addiction. And he connected this with how society, this is what happens, that it happens the same thing with people groups in society. When you know that which should be rejected and is contrary to God's word and not good for a family unit, for a community or society, but you, you, you no longer say it's wrong, then you tolerate it, then you embrace it, then you do it, then you promote it, and you attack anyone who doesn't get after it. So when you see so many homeless people, not all of them, out of their minds on drugs, that just didn't happen overnight. And that's the type of thing that happens when people call good evil and evil good, and it'll destroy a society. And when you see people out of their minds, it's like a little mini portion of what happens to society when you move from the surety of God's word as an absolute standard of right and wrong to having to accept, then to tolerate, then to promote, then to give special rights, and then to silence anything against it. Now, there's not much we can do about that, is there? In 2022, what, what can you do? I mean... Just since 2008 in the election with the gay marriage agenda and Prop 8, look where we're at 14 years later. Look what happened. The general mutilation of kindergartners and usurping of parental rights with their kids in public schools in various states. This is what happens when people like Ahab rule and Jezebel and they make Baal Lord of all instead of Christ Lord of all. So instead of the Ten Commandments, it's tolerance or promotion of great evil from Baal himself. And by the way, Baal is a god of lust, a god of the shedding of innocent blood, and the god who demands absolute authority over everything and everybody like the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party. That's who Baal is in every generation. So there's not that much difference between Ahab looking at Elijah and saying, you're the troubler, because right now, the people in power who want all the power, all the money, and all the control, they look at the church and say, you're the problem. That's what they, they accuse us of being the problem. Because of why? Because of the word of God. That's why.
And there's so much pressure, there's been so much pressure on me as a pastor for the last 15 years to soften the word of God. I taught the word of God knowing as a coach of the U.S. Olympic team surfing that eventually people would scrutinize my studies and look for stuff to use against me in that form. And sure enough, they did, didn't they? You know that. There are people who hated me as a coach of U.S. surfing as a pastor. They hired private investigators and paid them tons of money to go through every one of my Bible studies, anything they could find on me on YouTube, from every word I ever spoke. And they want to make me and you, anyone who stands for Christ, because we say Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. So we are a trouble of Israel if, if Israel's not the Israel of God. But let God be true and every man a liar. I was reading Zephaniah today, interesting little book. Very interesting prophecy in Zephaniah that got my attention, and you should take note of this. God pronounces that Zephaniah, to that generation, that all their evil and all the evil priests, the evil prophets, the evil kings, the evil princes, they're all going to be judged for all their corruption, all their things they do where they steal and they cheat and they lie and, and people know about it, but it's covered up and they're not held to account. All that was going on because there's nothing new under the sun. And he says, but you, you who are faithful, you who love my word and righteousness and truth, when the Babylonians come, I'll preserve you in the land and I'll leave a remnant there. See, God taught Abraham. Abraham said, will you judge the wicked with the righteous? Of course not. So whether society's going downhill doesn't mean you and I have to go downhill. And if they want to call us the trouble of Israel, they can, but that doesn't mean we're going to change our position and get off track because our foundation is God's word. But the most interesting thing about Zephaniah just got my attention just because, I don't know, I like a sea breeze and I like an ocean view. You know what he said to those who are faithful? I'm going to keep you in the land and I'm going to put you in the coastlands and you're going to be shepherds with a peaceful life in the coastlands. You know what that means? That's like retirement at Dana Strand. Where everything's nice and peaceful and calm. Stress-free. And I've been to the coastlands of Israel, just north of Tel Aviv. I had this vision like, wait a second. All these people and all their evil, all their corruption, like Ahab saying, you're the trouble of Israel. They, God deals with them. But to his people who obey him, he says, you know what? I'm going to keep you in the land, and I'm going to give you oceanfront property with a sea breeze. Isn't that a cool promise in Zephaniah? See, God always has a good thing for his people, and God always does what's good. His thoughts for us are not evil, but for good. But it's hard when you're Elijah, and you have to go through a famine just like everybody else because God's dealing with the people around you who are worshiping Baal. But nonetheless... Here's a firm application. Do not let the worship of Baal and being blamed, being blamed for, because Jesus said the world will hate us. So don't be surprised they hate us. So when those who follow Baal, the Lord of anything other than the Lord himself, attack us because they want to kill babies and do all these weird, bizarre things that are contrary to the kingdom and the things of God, we just got to always remember that God be true and every man a liar. And even if the world wants to shift the ancient boundaries don't let society shift them from our hearts. Because the one thing that he said to Ahab, no, you're the trouble of Israel because you've not obeyed the commandments of God. And everything that's gone wrong on planet Earth since I've been alive, born in 1961, everything that's gone wrong in this country, in the demise of this country, in the demise of this state since I've lived here since 1972, And the demise of planet Earth and the human race and what we're moving toward is not the result of people obeying the word of God. It's people serving Baal. 
That's the reality of it. So I'm rather comforted by Elijah because it's like they're all that you, I'm the king. I've made people sign papers saying that they didn't help you. And here we are right now. And I've been waiting to tell you for three years when I've lost all my wealth and my 401k because I got to kill the livestock because I can't find water and all my wealth. It's you. We're all losing money because of you. And he goes, no, that's not true. He didn't obey the word of God. God prospers those who look to him. You've chosen the wrong side, the side of Baal. So this is encouraging to us to have the spirit of Elijah in us. That the word of God is the final authority in our hearts and minds in every cell of our body. And no matter what's going on from family, friends, foes, government, and adversaries, we are not going to be moved from the truth of God's word. It's an anchor to our soul. And Elijah's an example of that. Now, no one likes to be falsely accused. I don't like to be falsely accused. So just know tonight, when you're falsely accused between now and the day of the Lord, for righteousness and people that are evil call good evil and evil good, just remember, it's so simple, the response. The church is not the troubler of Israel. Those who disobey God's word in their own life and in their business and in their community, in their state and society, they're the troublers. They're the ones, not the church. Verse 20. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? Yeah, either we serve Jesus or we serve Baal. There can't be two lords. It's not Jesus plus Baal or Baal plus church. It's either Jesus or Baal. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. Yeah. Ooh, they got not, oh, man. Hmm. Then Elijah, verse 22, said to the people, I alone am left of the prophets of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. Put one on, uh, put no fire under it. And I'll prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of the Lord, your gods, the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He's God. And so all the people said, it's well spoken, right? So if these 450 prophets can call down fire, then Baal's Lord. And we should worship Baal because he's the God of fire. He's the God of, he's the God of weather. Okay. But if one man with the Lord can call down fire, he truly serves the living Lord, the living God. So it's like, here it is. Let's all, come on, everybody, an entire nation. Let's come together right now. Is it Jesus plus all these relevant societal things that are contrary to his word, or is it Jesus? Let the God of fire speak and let the Lord be revealed this day. And they're like, okay, yeah. That's a miracle, calling on fire where there's water, or where there's no flames who can create it. Verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many. He's letting them go first. And call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bull which was given to them and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning till noon, saying, Oh, Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. It's like a pregame hype up in a sports event, you know? Just, just, just nothing to back it up though. Verse 27. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. You don't see this in the Bible too often. Like, like this is pregame trash talking. 
in a way. Like, I, 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 I can be spirit-filled and bold, but I'm not sure I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk trash with 450 prophets of Baal. I just, but Elijah's not mean. He's not you, and he's a whole other. We can pray like him and have power like him, but there's no one like Elijah. So he mocked them, and he said, hey, cry aloud for if he's a god. Either he's med- hey, he's meditating. Some gods meditate, you know, or he's busy. You know, it's busy. It's hard to be a god. You're busy. A lot going on. Or he's on a journey because sometimes gods go on vacation, you know. Or perhaps he's sleeping because, you know, some gods take a nap. It must be awakened. I'm being facetious, of course, but look what he says. Like, if this, were, if this is God, then God's just a man. But God says, I am the Lord. There is no other. I am the rock of Israel. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until blood gushed out of them. And when midday was passed, they prophesied until the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice. These guys worked eight hours. They put in an eight-hour work day for their God. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here, come here, come here. Verse 30, come here, come here to me. So all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sayas of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, Fill four water pots with water, pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, Do it a second time. Then they did it a second time. He said, Do it a third time. And he did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, that Elijah the prophet came here and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are the God in Israel. You are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that I have done these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me this day, that people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you've turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them. So what a day for Israel. Remember, this is their land. They're under covenant. And isn't it kind of interesting how Elijah put 12 stones? The kingdom had been divided for like at least 150 years, about 150 years. Two, 10 tribes in the north, two tribes in the south, Benjamin absorbed by Judah. And I just think it's neat. Like he's reminding them of their heritage and who they are, of the 12 stones when they walked through the Jordan River coming into the promised land hundreds of years before under the guidance of Joshua. He's reminding them who they are. Sometimes we need to be reminded who we are in Christ as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Sometimes the church needs to be reminded that we're the kingdom of God on earth. And Jesus gave us the keys to the kingdom. And we're not meant to be cowards. By the way, in Revelation, it says that those who are excluded from the kingdom are cowards. But we're to stand before the Lord so we don't fear standing before men who reject him. Elijah reminds them of their legacy, and Elijah's faith is rewarded, and God does the supernatural. Obviously, no man can manipulate this or manufacture this. This is God of the universe. And we're just reminded that all things are made by Christ and for Christ. And in him, all things consist. And the world is held together by him. And the center of the universe with a trillion galaxies is right here on planet Earth. In fact, we could say the center of the universe is his call on your life because he knows the hairs on your head. And he's going to call all of us to give an account for every word we ever speak and every thought we've ever had. Isn't that amazing? 
People talk about like alien life here or alien life there or whatever, whatever. This planet might have water. It doesn't matter. The universe is under the law of entropy because our father Adam sinned in the garden with Eve. And we all died because sin entered the universe through Adam. And we're all promised heaven when we trust in Jesus because he came to this planet and shed the blood of God, his blood, on this planet to redeem us. He rose from the grave on this planet. He established his church on this planet and ascended to heaven from this planet. This, this planet of time, space, and matter is subject to all the supernatural things God wants to do in our lives this day in his church in every generation. So let the God of fire, God of heaven, call down fire on our behalf for the battles we have to face on a daily basis. And like I said last week, if you believe in miracles and you're looking for miracles, you will see them. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro over the face of the earth, looking to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are loyal to him. If you believe the God of fire will call, the God of heaven who controls fire will call down fire from heaven for you, good for you and good for me. Because that's a life worth living. Because eternity is always just right around the corner. Gotta love Elijah. Just gotta love it. Man, he restored order. Then verse 41, it says, then Elijah, so Elijah just, just won the battle. And so Elijah said to Ahab, go up, eat and drink, for this is, there is a sound of abundance of rain. See, he's speaking faith and he's speaking the future. He says, go up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. Now, let me ask you something. Do you hear the rain yet? Do you see the rain? We're going to read the rest of the text. The rain's not there yet. You see, the woman of faith, the man of faith, sees it because they believed it. And they see it before it happens. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. Like your physical resurrection. Like when you're in glory. You know, we're singing, when I die, when I come and go to die, give me Jesus. Faith is believing in the person, the work, and the promises in our destiny with Jesus Christ. And we don't see it. And like I've been sharing, every cup of cold water in Jesus' name, every time you serve the children's ministry, every little notepad you put in the Operation Christmas Child box, everything you've ever done, you're doing it by faith. And unlike your bank account, unlike your stock market or your private wealth or the wealth value, equity value of your property, which you can figure out somewhat to agree what your worth is, we don't know eternal wealth until we get there. It's all by faith. We can't see a spreadsheet. Do you understand? Like everything you've done in Jesus' name, the $5 you gave to the fund of people trying to pay for the surgery for their friend at the four corners of Fountain Valley, two weeks going now. If you did it in Jesus' name, that's a dividend in eternity. The part of over $200,000 going out in missions this year from WG, what you gave. If you sowed much, you reap much. If you sowed a little, you reap a little, but you still reap. The reward and we don't know any of it. See, Ahab could count his cows and his sheep and his goats and know his 401k equity wealth as the king of Israel. You and I and our eternal treasures, it's just all by faith. Till the last day. When you grab someone in assisted living and you're kind of fuzzy, but you know Jesus is Lord, and you pray for them because they're crying. That act of kindness in Jesus' name has eternal fruit. As soon as you breathe your last and he comes for you in that room, and you step into his glory, that act of faith and obedience has fruit in eternity, but we don't know what it is. Can you hear the sound of rain before it's raining? That's the question. Because 
That's how we're meant to live. Go eat, for there's the sound of abundance rain. The prophet and the prophetess, they hear the rain before there's even a cloud in the sky. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and then he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and he said to his servant, Go up now, look toward the sea. So he went up and looked and said, There is nothing. And seven times Elijah said, Go again. He had to hear seven times, There's no cloud, there's no, no. Go again. Then it came to pass on the seventh time, verse 44, that he said, Whoa, there's a cloud. As small as a man's hand rising. Why? It's rising out of the sea. So I said to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. In other words, get down the mountain before it's flash flooding. You're like in San Bernardino, back the back way to Big Bear, where the ravines are, and they get the flash flooding. Elijah says to Ahab, hey, you better get, you better get on your horse right now. The ravine's going to flash flood, like in Arizona, torrential rain in August. You, you, better, you, better, you better get moving right now. You better get, the rain's coming. It's coming. Get moving before the rain stops you. Verse 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and wind and there was a heavy rain. So Ahab rode ahead, rode away and went to Jezreel. Then the hand of the Lord came upon Elijah and he girded up his loins and he ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. That's the city of Israel. So again, can you hear the rain before it's raining? Can you see the cloud and the thunder before it's on the horizon. Can you be at Huntington Cliffs on the bike path and look towards San Clemente Island and the Lord has promised a massive storm. Can you see it when it's not there? Because that's what faith does. You see, in preparing to teach at Everwell this last weekend in Costa Mesa, that millennial church in Cisco, I had, a, I had a text assigned to me, 2 Corinthians 3. Chapter 3. And it's Paul kind of giving his resume to the Corinthians, which seems kind of silly, but, you know, the context warranted it. But what got my attention is in the opening to 1 Corinthians, he says, Paul the apostle by the will of God. The other one, he says, Paul the apostle through the will of God. A little, little subtle distinction on words, but it got me thinking. We are who we are in Christ by the will of God. In other words, the moment we come to Christ, we have a perfect righteousness before God, a positional righteousness through our faith in Christ. We are saved because he sees us like he sees the Son. His righteousness is imputed to our account. By the will of God, we are who we are the moment we come to Christ. We're born again. We're a new creation. But then we have this journey where we live this life where it's practical righteousness of the Spirit working in our life. And that's why it's the same chapter where it goes on to say, but now we're being transformed from glory to glory, one of my favorite passages. Because we are this by the will of God, but it's a working work by the Spirit daily through the will of God, working in and through us for His good pleasure, as we're told. That's how faith is. There, we are who we are the moment we come to Christ, but faith is to live by faith, to walk by faith, to live a full life of faith, for without faith it's impossible to please God. And so we're called, the upper call of God is in faith, looking under Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, but to live by faith, and that's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not yet seen. We have to hear the rain of our resurrection on the day of Christ Jesus. We have to hear the glory that we're going to be in when we're in glory with the Lord. We have to hear the rewards of heaven when we cast our crowns before the Lord. We have to hear it all without even 
why with being deaf. Because the frequency to hear the rain in time, space, and matter, you can't hear it except by faith. You have to believe. See, so many people say, show me and I'll believe, but the Lord always says, believe and I'll show you. We're called to believe. The world is leaving its glory. We are going to our glory. And we move toward our glory day to day with steps of faith, inviting the God of miracles to bring fire to our life, to hear the rain pattering on the window before anyone else does, and to see the cloud when your best friend goes six times and doesn't see it, but you still see it. Be that woman, be that man, be, be that person in the will of God, and then be that person through the will of God, and just sow faith and speak faith. Now, there are people who misunderstand faith, and it often makes Calvary Chapel people afraid to say faith. Because there's people that think they can create something that they can't create, and they just say, if I just believe it long enough or speak it, I can make it happen. That's not true. But our words are powerful. As a man thinketh, so he becomes. And as we speak and we speak faith, we are aligning ourselves with the promises of God, the will of God, and the power of God. So we should speak faith. We should speak, do you hear the rain, even though you can't hear it unless you have the frequency of faith? Do you see the rain, even though you can't see it unless you see with the eyes of faith? We should be that woman and we should be that man. And in a world of disheartened, discouraged, disillusioned, disenfranchised people, we can, should be the people that wake up and hear the rain, see the cloud, and we're just going forward, onward, and upward in Jesus' name. That's what we want to sow every day. We're speaking faith. We're seeing faith. We are faith, and we're growing faith. See, when you set really high goals, if you have never done anything toward that goal, like, it wouldn't be realistic. But you see, if you set a far-reaching goal, and you take steps toward that, it becomes more realistic. See, my first Pipe Masters at the age of 17, my goal, my dream was to win the Pipe Masters. To be the king of the pipeline was actually my goal. To be like Jerry Lopez, my hero. That all came from watching World of Sports in 1973. Every big day in California from the time I was 12 till I was in my first Pipe Masters at 17. When I was scared, I'd just pretend I'm in the Pipe Masters against Rory Russell and Jerry Lopez. I was seeing that moment. And wouldn't you know, my first Pipe Final was with Jerry Lopez and Roy Russell at 17. I saw that moment when I was daydreaming as a sophomore, when I was cutting school as a junior. I just saw that moment. My goal in that first Pipe Masters was to be top 10. 36 competitors. I was a really good tube rider. Pipeline's a tube riding wave. It's a goofy thing. My goal, never been in the Pipe Masters. I was the youngest, I'm the youngest finalist still to this day, 40 years later in the Pipe Masters. Younger than John John or Kelly Slater. My goal was to be, I got invited, which blew everyone's mind, and I'm like, I'm not just getting invited. I'm going to be top 10. And then I had the heat of my life, and I made the finals. I beat the two-time champion to make the finals in the quarterfinals for Roy Russell. So from that time on, when I said I was going to win the Pipe Masters, it gave greater credibility because I'd already been in a Pipe Final when I was 17. And I made the finals again in 1980. I lost in the semifinals in 81 when Michael Hall won. See, I had high goals, 
but there were things that came along the journey. But I'd served huge pipeline. I dialed in my boards. I had, had victory and defeated pipeline. I'd, I'd been in the finals when Mark Richards won, when, when Larry Blair won. And so it's a process. That's how it is when you're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or anything. It's a process being a mother when you have this kid and that kid. And we always apologize to Hannah. Why? Because we're figuring it out. And Luke gets all the benefits because he's the last one and we spoiled him. Well, we spoiled Leah more than Luke, but it's a process. So when we think about we're called to live by faith, if you want to have faith that moves mountains, believes the rain when you don't hear it, and sees the cloud when it's not there, you need to take steps of faith every day. We need to stretch our faith. We need to take, like, set bigger goals. Some people, don't, some people want to be saved but not live by faith. But it doesn't work that way. We're saved by faith. We live by faith. We go forward by faith. We need to hear the rain before it's hitting the windowsill. And we need to see the cloud before the marine layers at San Clemente Island. And that woman, that man, when they go about their day and they're speaking faith and they're being faith and they're growing in faith and they're living faith, man, they're just, when Jesus comes, it's like a chariot of fire. Because the chariot's coming for Elijah. That woman is a heavenly-minded woman. That man is a heavenly-minded man. And their whole life is about the kingdom advancing through their life every single day. And it's a journey of faith. What was Pastor Chuck's life story with the Calvary Chapel VHS back in 1992? Venture of Faith. The movie's coming out with Greg Laurie pretty soon. The Greg Laurie story. And it's a venture of faith. That's what it is. It's scary to have to go before all those prophets of Baal and be trash-talking even. But the same person who hears the rain before it's raining and sees the cloud before it's on the horizon, that's the same person who's definitely not afraid of Ahab and is not going to have anything to do with this nonsensical conversation. They're going to stay on point and not be pivoted or moved from their place of confidence. The Lord is person and his word is promises. Chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel, oh, Ahab told Jezebel, uh oh. Honey, I got some bad news. Let me explain. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent messenger to Elijah saying, Let the gods do to me, and more so also, I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow, by about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. I told you she's scary. And uh, he went to Beersheba. So now he's going to the south, down toward Gaza, which belongs to Judah. So he left the northern territories and went to the south. And he left his servant there also. He just took off. He's gone. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. This is an interesting phrase coming from the man who just said, I hear the rain before it's raining and I see the cloud before it came. Which just shows us people who soar high can fall hard. In the book by A.B. Simpson, the founder of the Missionary Alliance Church, his biography, really well written, a common theme is that he soared so high with the Lord, but then you, you, you have, you, you see some people, this is like a, a cadence, they kind of go like this. But some people, they get to go way up here above the clouds, but because God took them above the clouds, like Paul with his heavenly vision, God takes them way down deep. You got to go, you know, you got to get that deep valley too, so you're not puffed up. Like Paul said, the thorn in the flesh. 
because he'd seen heaven's glory. And it's like, well, that, that would puff you up, so let's just take you farther down. But don't be afraid of the valley of despair, because what did David say in Psalm 139? If I go to the highest heights, you're there. If I go to the lowest valley, make my bed in the grave, you are there. So when you're in the valley, when you're in the, the pit and the valley with Jesus, he's, he's with you. You're not there alone. So often when you have a great spiritual high and say, oh, God, do something so mighty in your life, it is not surprising to find yourself despondent over everything right after it. It, it works that way. Unfortunately, it does. So that's why life, I say life's like a baseball season. There's always a new game tomorrow. That's why you just walk off the field, win or lose. But life's sometimes like a football game. It's violent, and you got to regroup on Monday and watch the game film and figure out how you can be ready for next Sunday. And sometimes it's like that. Sometimes you just have a beat down, but you can't quit. You got to just regroup. But there's times you're just like, you're just so disheartened. You put your, all your, you, you know, you're using the Lord so mightily, supernaturally, and then you wake up and you're a woman of the flesh. You're just a woman in a 60-year-old body. You're just a man in a 70-year-old body. That's what you are. But God used you supernaturally with miracles the week before, and here you are. You're, just, you're, you're 70, and your body hurts, and... You just, and suddenly you just, you're in the slew of response and there's no real reason for it other than you just, that's, the devil's giving you a beat down that day. We do have times where we feel very discouraged with the Lord and it usually follows something very great with the Lord. So it's really important you don't get too high or too low. You just get back to work. You, get, you just catch your breath, pull it together, Quitting is never an option. Quitting is never an option with the Lord. That is, I mean by quitting, like seeking the Lord, going after the Lord. Like he, he might say, let go of that. So he might call us to let go of things that we're not called to do anymore, and that would seem like quitting, but it's like, no, just that's done. But the idea of just walking away from the Lord is no. But he's broken. And if anything good can come from being in the slew of despondence, it's that... I'm no better than my father's. Because he's thinking he's the only guy that's living right in Israel. And he's running for his life from Jezebel. It's not a good look. Verse 5. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there were, by his head was a cake was a, uh, a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time, touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. And there he went into a cave and he spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? So he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Then he, the Lord, said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore into the mountain and broke rocks in pieces before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? 
And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. It's like, this is like his calling card. You know, like when you're on a sales, like your salesman, you kind of got your opening pitch. Like, this is, this is, this is his worldview. When he's in the, this is his worldview of the Lord right now. Like, he stood before the Lord for three years, you know, rain, awesome. But he said the same thing. You catch it? Like, twice before, the Lord's like, what are you doing? Well, I alone am left. And the people have done this and that, but I alone am left. Like, that's, that's, his, that's his whole worldview. This is all, this is it. I'm the last one standing. And the Lord says to him, verse 15, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Hazael king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi as king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat of He shall You shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill. Whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth has not kissed him. So this is awesome. Elisha's like in total crisis. He's fled in the middle of nowhere. The Lord spoke to him on his journey. The Lord spoke, speaks to him in this cave. The Lord's not in the wind. He's not in the fire or the earthquake. It's a still small voice of the Lord. And whenever, all, it's like a, a blooming onion. All the layers are peeled away. And he's like, I alone am left. And the Lord's like, go return. I like this. Because, you know, when we're, we're really at a low point, you know what the Lord says? I'll tell you what he says. Listen, get back to work. Get back to it. You know, Brandon and I coached surfers for years. He was my assistant coach with U.S. Olympic surfing. That's what makes it. It's so funny. He's an assistant pastor here now. Like, like that's Brandon. You know, like, we, we, like, did all this together. But when you're coaching surfers, like, sometimes the ocean just gives you a beatdown. It's just like any other sport. Sometimes you're just having a bad day. But you know when you're having a bad day in the ocean? It really, it really gives you a beatdown. You get bombed. You're taking, as they say, donuts. You're taking, you're getting caught inside. You're taking donuts on the head and, and sometimes I've had kids just we've had kids that are elite surfers the very best junior surfers on planet earth just like I'm done I'm done and their parents are always frustrated at that moment too if you know soccer moms and I'm done and, and it's like you, you just can't let them no that's it can't end that way I can't tell you how many times we did make someone because they all have fragile egos, and they're all the best. So when, they, when they're tra- training with each other, and someone's just getting beat on by their peers for like three, four, five heats, if you will, man, it's a fragile psyche. And, you know, the high school athlete, junior high school athlete is a fragile psyche. And um, so, like, literally, Brandon and I more than once be like, Lord, just help them go out there and just catch two good waves and not get last place. And then we do the jersey. So the red jersey is the person who's like his number one seed. But during training, we switch up the jersey. So if like you're on fire and you take the red jersey from Coy and Dino, you put him in an orange jersey and you get the red jersey. So but if you're like, if you're not having a good day, you're in the white jersey. If we got six jerseys, you're in the white jersey, the green jersey. So that affects your psyche too. So you have a kid like, you just can't. No, what are we going to do right now? We're going to paddle out. We're going to look for a wave at the corner. We're going to hit our bottom turn, complete the first maneuver, and stick the last turn. You never want to send an athlete, especially a teenage athlete, home defeated. 
we have to help them find success, and we have to frame it so they can be successful. I love how the Lord comes to Elijah here, and he says, look, just paddle back out. You're not going to paddle out on that peak. You're going to go to Syria. You're going to paddle out on this peak. You're going to paddle over here, and a whole new adventure awaits your life right now. It's a whole new adventure. You're going to Syria. You're anointing this king, this person, and your replacement. <laughs> Think about that on your journey. Hey, did he say he's my replacement? <laughs> he, did I hear that right? He said he's my replacement. You know, like, I was like, now, wait a second. Like, I, you know, I know I was complaining in the boss's office. Like, I'm the only one left. And, you know, I don't know. I'll just take my life. But now he's talking about replacing me. Just, you know, you tell the boss, well, I'm going to quit. And then he's like, hey, this is your replacement. You know, I went and asked Pastor Chuck for more money one time. He hired Garrett Beeler the next day. True story. True story. Garrett was in his suit. He's like, Oh, Joey, I'm so stoked. I'm going to be a pastor. I'm like, that's my replacement. (laughs) Handwriting's on the wall, as they say in the book of Daniel. You got to get back to work. With the Lord, it's always onward, forward, and upward. Always forward with the Lord. The way out of the slew of despondence and looking in the mirror with a self-imposed pity party is looking to the Lord and always forward. What is the next thing? That's why I have TNT, the next thing. Most important thing is MIT, which is often a project. The plan of action is this, and the most important thing to move toward that. But the TNT is like, what's the next thing though? Like, well, you're gonna start moving north towards Syria. That's the next thing. And look for this cat, you know, plowing the field with his cow, because that's the guy who's your replacement. That's what the Lord, Jesus is always taking us forward. That's why Paul said to the Philippians, forgetting those things are behind, I press on what lies ahead to the upper call of God in Christ Jesus. And as many of our mature mind will have this mind with me. Now, God says, just, I, and not only that, God says, and by the way, you're not the only one, <laughs> right? Like, you, you get back to work, and by the way, I have 7,000 employees. You're not the only one working for this, this kingdom. Oh, Oh, okay. So off he goes to go find his replacement and realizing he's not the only one that works for the company. Verse 19. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. He was with the 12th. Then Elisha passed by him and threw his mantle, his coat, and threw his coat on him. And he, that is Elisha, left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, Please let me kiss my father and mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah says, Go back again for what have I done to you? Prophets are so funny, huh? They're just so funny. Like, hey, they're just like prophets. They're funny how they do things sometimes. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. And then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. Think about this. Like, he cut. So... This is, this is almost comical, but it's really special. So here's Elijah, a, a man like no other in the last 500 years. He's not a king. He's not Samuel. He's the prophet that, like, he's the prophet that makes it stop raining. He's the prophet that hears the rain before it's raining. And he comes along. He's just had this whole encounter with the Lord a certain way in the season of his life. And he walks by, and, he goes, and the Lord's like, that's the guy. That's your replacement. Like Garrett be there in the suit in front of the main office. And he, and, he throws, and he throws the coat on him. And Elijah's like, 
the Lord would have been preparing him. Like when Elijah the prophet comes by, you throws his coat on you, and you're like, that's Elijah the prophet, and God's been preparing me for something. And it's like there's the eye contact. He's like, let, let me go say goodbye to my parents. He's like, what am I to do with you? You know what I mean? It's like this, this, like, this should be in a movie somewhere. Like, this is such a good scene. Right? Like, and then Elijah's like, maybe steps aside and like, what are you going to do? It's like, uh, well, my future is with you. And it's always forward, onward, and upward with the Lord. So I'm going to kill the oxen. I'm going to do an offering to the Lord. And I don't have a job. I'm cutting all ties with my job. It's like Peter, John, and James leaving the fishing business leaving their father behind. It's like Matthew leaving the tax collector's booth. It's like, boom. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. And that's basically, Elijah is so many times a type of Christ, like 40 days, no food in the wilderness. We caught that in this chapter. Raises the dead. Jesus raises the dead. We saw that. It's just like, Elisha is all in. He's all in. There's no looking back. Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but not lukewarm. All in. Elisha's all in. I'm going to share this story. Years ago, and I'll close with this. This is a really good story. Years ago, there was a man named Ray Horton in Vista. I was at Calvary Chapel Vista, and I was doing the drug and alcohol ministry. I wasn't even 30. I was new in ministry, and I'm just trying to help drug addicts and alcoholics go forward with the Lord. So parents would drop off their kids. People bring their spouse, fix them, and maybe we'll let them back in the house. That kind of stuff, for real. That's the way it was. And this guy shows up, Ray Horton, and uh, uh, they share the gospel with them, the guys in our team and everything. And, and I go, oh, I really want to believe that and everything. It's like, so, and this is what we said. <clears throat> What is keeping you from the Lord right now? And he goes, $20,000 worth of crystal methane in my closet. What is keeping you from the Lord? $20,000 worth of crystal meth in my closet. I said, dude, we can't go wrong. We'll go dump that out right now, and you'll never look back. We'll dump out a $20,000 offering to the Lord right now, this night in Vista, California, and you will never look back. You, you would be a fool to go back to being a drug dealer once you dump out $20,000 with a crystal meth, right? Oh, yeah. Right. So let's go right now. I'll go with you. He said, the drug dealer's going to come kill me. No, they're not. You're going to tell them you serve the living God. See, you hear the rain? You see the cloud? He didn't hear the rain, see the cloud, but I did. Do you think God's going to like, no. I'm like, dude, we're going right now. He's like, I want to, yeah. And as we drove, his faith grew. And it's like, he poured it all out. He poured it all out. Then he got married, and he served in the children's ministry at Calvary Chapel Vista. See, once you slaughter the oxen and the cart, you're all in. Don't be afraid to be all in. Because our future is forward, onward, and upward, always with the king to glory and all that he has for us in the next dimension. Hear the rain, see the rain, sacrifice the oxen, receive the mantle, and get after it in Jesus' name.